One of the things I got to talk about that I found very interesting, because I've been covering this for a very long time, but I did find two things that I find very interesting. Justice Samuel Alito had some stuff to say about how abortion is not in the Constitution. There's no mention of abortion in the Constitution, and therefore there is no reasonable basis for uh, due process to protect like any of the amendments to, to, to protect a woman's right to get an abortion, right? Now, if you are an originalist, which is a bullshit, method anyway it's like i mean it's bullshit it's not real it's not a real way of thinking it's just like made up but if you are the type of person who claims that you are you know looking at the text in a strict almost baptist like manner you also have to take account or take into uh, or factor into your consideration what the founders knew and what the founders were thinking of and i always had thought like maybe our founding fathers were like really anti-abortion you know maybe they thought it was terrible well guess what i was wrong i always assumed that people didn't know what an abortion was i always assumed that in the founding of the united states like if they knew what an abortion was they were probably against it i was super wrong americans during the time of the colonies and also our founding fathers were 100 percent completely aware of abortion and didn't even seek to fucking bring it up in the constitution as a protected right because it was not even criminalized it was not even considered something that needs to be stopped it was just a normal part of the whatever medical processes that they had at the time. Benjamin, Germans are too swarthy to be considered white. Franklin literally wrote instructions on at-home abortions in a book in the 1700s. This motherfucker, he wrote a cookbook for how to do abortions. That's right, folks. And I had no idea. This is totally new for me, okay? Maybe some of you guys knew this. But I went down this rabbit hole and I can't find this, uh, I can't find the original liberal guy who fucking posted about this shit because uh, someone, some some lib on Twitter was like actually looking at uh, newspapers, like newspaper clippings from like the 1700s to see whether there was like any basis to see whether like, uh, you know, Americans knew about abortion, talked about abortion at all. Turns out they did. There are actually newspaper clippings where people were talking about abortion. They understood it as a concept. They understood it as a medical procedure and it was actually conducted by midwives and herbalists specialists for the time you know what i mean like a time before fucking doctors of course part of the reason why benny boy uh was probably a big aborabo advocate was because he did love having sex with the french oh this is it this is it here here we go now, but that's besides the point, you know, you, you take what you can in that situation, okay? Benny Boy loved wearing the fucking raccoon on his head, making it seem like that's all Americans wear to the French, and having sexual intercourse with the French. That's part of the reason why he also famously thought the French were considered white, alongside the Anglos, whereas the Germans weren't, because they were swarthy barbarians, and the Swedish. Anyway, the idea that, like, our founders did not protect abortion rights, or did not consider abortion, or did not know about abortion, back in the day is completely a falsehood it quite literally relies on you not knowing this fundamental truth the court claims the right to abortion is not deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition is that true i searched 18th century newspapers because i wanted to learn how people really felt about abortion at america's founding answer they loved abortion. How much would you guess that people in the 1770s used the word abortion? I guess zero. I was wrong. They talked about abortion all the time in America. They talked about both literal abortion and abortion as a metaphor. Now, in 1752, a man had uh, some too familiar conversations with a milkmaid. Some dude piped up a milkmaid. They needed some abortion herbs. Because he wanted to keep this quiet from his wife, he didn't trust the midwife. He got the herbs from two idle fellows of the town instead. Sadly, the herbs were arsenic and the milkmaid died. The man was charged with poisoning her, as were the sketchy herbs salesman but no one was charged with the crime of abortion why because it was perfectly legal and common 
abortion was only reported on when it went wrong. Most mentions of abortion from the period are metaphor. It was a shockingly common uh, comparison. In 1774, a political critique. Unless our ministry are such skillful midwives as to procure an abortion, we will, shall be surprised with something monstrous. Implying that skillful midwives were administering abortions regularly. Like as though this was something that you needed to have skill to conduct. Now remember, they don't have fucking doctors at this point. In the, in, so obviously like a lot of this is just like herbalist. A lot of this is like bullshit. But recognize that this was considered to be a fucking straight up medical practice. It was also something that people understood within the culture so much so that they would use it as a comparison as an analogy from this we learned that abortion was skilled work done by midwives intentional seen as good protection for monstrous births now the monstrous birth uh, component uh, as john skill skinner mentions is literally a reference to medieval christian belief that some babies are hell-sent monsters needing to be aborted that was part of the reason why you know there was uh they were pro-abortion because they were like let me let me make something clear to you you know there's some godless fucking demon babies out there and to be honest medieval christians were right there are some fucking demon ass babies out there okay hitler Thank you. There you go. Think about that. Ted Cruz. Now, then they go into abortion was a common metaphor for America herself. Okay, yeah, that, that's when it falls off a cliff. I don't really care about that part of the argument, but it was commonplace and people did talk about abortions. And I think that sets the mood for people understanding why someone like Benjamin motherfucking Franklin quite literally wrote about how to conduct at-home abortions and wrote it in a popular British math textbook titled the instructor and written by george fisher which for all said was a pseudonym the textbook was a catch-all manual that included plenty of useful information for the average person it had the alphabet basic arithmetic recipes in farriery which is a hoof care for horses at the time books were very expensive and a general manual like this was this one was a practical choice for many families franklin saw the value of this book and decided to create an updated version for residents of the u.s telling readers his goal was to make the text more immediately useful to americans these included updating city names adding colonial history and other minor tweaks but as farrell describes the most significant change of the book was swapping out a section that included a medical textbook from london with a virginia medical handbook from 1734 called every man his own doctor the poor planter's physician this medical handbook provided home remedies for a variety of ailments allowing people to handle their more minor illnesses at home like a fever or gout if you're rich rich of the soul but also a fatty rich liver which creates gout, you know, the rich man's disease. One entry, however, was for the suppression of the courses, which Farrell discovered meant a missed menstrual period. The book starts to prescribe basically all of the best-known herbal aberrant and contraceptives that were circulating at the time, Farrell said. It's just sort of a greatest hits of what 18th century herbalists would have given a woman who wanted to end a pregnancy early. Now, you might joke about every man his own doctor, but like, we're talking about the 18th century, boys. And yes, every man was their own fucking doctor. There was no like established medicine, okay? It's very explicit, very detailed, and also very accurate for the times in terms of what was known for how to end a pregnancy pretty early on. Including this information in a widely circulated guide for everyday life bears a significance to today's heated debate over access to abortion and contraception in the United States. In particular, the leaked Supreme Court opinion that would overturn Roe v. Wade and states that a right to abortion is not deeply rooted in the nation's history and traditions. That is fucking false a lot of this stuff is fucking false their understanding of protecting the safety and security and sanctity of human beings no matter what their background is is also fucking false obviously the supreme court is a failed institution that is purely political that tries to justify their reactionary politics specifically the five the six uh, reactionary supreme court justices with an intellectual pseudo-intellectual patina which is also known as uh you know the originalist interpretation of the constitution 
But understand that even the fucking originalist interpretation of the Constitution and the reasons why they said, oh, well, abortion was not fundamental in the development of America is just wrong. It's just an abject failure of truly understanding the historical precedent or, or rather how commonplace abortion was. But that in and of itself is yet another perfect example that these guys don't actually care about any of the values that they espouse. They just care about getting shit done. They just care about pushing their reactionary agenda. And that can be seen also in the decision that they came down with earlier today where they talked about allowing religious prayer to be conducted by uh, a public school administrator at a public school during public school time. A clear separation of church and state, which was advocated for on a complete fabrication. It was advocated for by lying, they claim that this dude wasn't actually, uh, you know, demonstrating prayer in an obstruction uh, in an obstructionist way when it was not true. So that's what it is. Now, there's also more interesting uh, uh, things to talk about because abortion was common practice. And then a small group of doctors changed that reality. In like around 1880 or in 1860, uh, in colonial America, abortion was commonplace. It was not controversial. It was a private decision made by women, aided bo mostly by midwives, as we already talked about. But in the mid-1800s, a small group of physicians set out to change that, led by a zealous young doctor, Horatio Storer. That's a fun name. They launched a campaign to make abortion illegal in every state. Hosts, Rampton, Arabulary, blah, 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 history podcast, bring the through line. In 1860, governors of every single state in the U.S received this letter from the recently established American Medical Association. The evil to society of this crime is evident from the fact that instances in this country are now to be counted by hundreds of thousands. Can you imagine a fucking, like an 1800 doctor, doctor, by the name of Horatio, was able to fucking single-handedly dictate hundreds of years later what uh, American women would uh, be subjected to as far as being denied a medical procedure. How fucking crazy. Basically, he gross wrote a letter from the president of AMA, so it looked like it was coming from the president, but Storer was actually the one who wrote it, saying that the AMA abor opposes abortion, and then used the language of morality. The letter was pivotal to what historian historians call physicians' crusade against abortion, and Storer was making a few key, arg key arguments for why abortion should be illegal across the country. The child is alive from the moment of conception. That life began its conception was the fundamental basis for the anti-abortion arguments. Also, yes, there's more details on Horatio background. In 1869, Storer, raised in a Unitarian family, became Episcopalian, and then a decade later, he became a Roman Catholic. Do not ask me what my opinion is on fucking converts. Adult converts are some of the most cartoonish freaks, okay? Sorry. No disrespect, but they ride or die in the worst ways possible. Mike Pence is a great example of this, okay? Homie fucking converted to Roman Catholicism. You know, you know you can't take that dude seriously. Glenn Beck, Mike Pence, born-again Christians in general. Holy fuck, dude. So, the abortion conversation has always centered itself around how life begins. The idea, the false idea, which there is no scientific basis for, is that life begins at conception because life is not identifiable. Okay, it is arbitrary. We have no way of pointing to what life is. Okay, we just kind of understand it. It's like something that makes up these these qualities of what it means to be human. Up till now, people generally agreed that life began when a woman could actually feel life moving inside her, known as the quickening. But that wasn't enough for Storer. He campaigned on a moral argument that also tapped into the racial fears of the moment, fears that would eventually inspire a pseudo-scientific field of quote racial improvement 
and the planned breeding of the population, i.e., something that you guys are already familiar with, American eugenics. These racial fears would inspire forced sterilization programs to decrease certain populations where Storer's anti-abortion campaign was trying to increase other populations by focusing on the birth rate. The birth rate for Protestant white women had been declining over the course of the 19th century, so we had fears of what were commonly referred to as race suicide. So it was a fucking racist Roman Catholic adult convert that single-handedly was able to make the argument in the 19th century as to why we got to get those fucking white Protestant birth rates up. Because he also believed in the Great Decline. He also believed in racial purity, as did many other people. And he was able to, once again, utilize white supremacist fears, which are the underpinnings of American society which literally are in the foundation to justify this ultra fascist christian fucking attitude and that very same attitude exists to this fucking day christianity on its own would not have been able to guide people so he didn't just say it's because uh you know uh, god said so he said white race is under attack White supremacy is always so fucking good for guiding these fucking assholes, okay? Even if they don't personally believe in the religious element, they will literally fucking advocate for it on the basis of white supremacy and upholding white purity. Of course, on the one hand, while they were, and this is exactly the same attitude that Hitler had, by the way, exactly. On the one hand, they were doing forcible sterilization of indigenous and black people, but also, on the other hand, they were advocating for uh, a ban on abortion for white Protestants and just white women in general. He was fearful that Chinese migrants were going to populate the country. It was going to be African-Americans, the newly freed people and the Catholics. They are not the ones using abortion. It's our, you know, Yankee women who are using abortion, trying to get into medical school, trying to do politics when they should be at home having babies and taking care of them. That was the established attitude. And of course, if you are uh, thinking that it's like very different now, make no mistake, famously, uh, the, the Naperville's very own fucking Nazi, what the fuck, whatever the fuck her name was, it was a Marie Miller or whatever, also gave the game away when she spoke at this fucking Trump rally where she had this to say. President Trump, on behalf of all the MAGA patriots in America, I want to thank you for the historic victory for white life in the Supreme Court yesterday. That's weird, man. What the fuck? That's crazy. I'm sure she hasn't we, said anything else that's like super suspicious at all, right? Win a few elections, we're still going to be losing unless we win the hearts and minds of our children. This is the battle. Hitler was right on one thing. He said, whoever has the youth has the future. Our children are being propagandized. Huh. So maybe she's not misspeaking. Maybe it wasn't a fucking slip of the tongue. Maybe it's just straight up her fucking worldview. Come on, brothers and sisters. You can't get to a point where you say Hitler was right on one thing, okay? You you just under no circumstances have to hand it to Hitler. You just don't have to do that. The best part is so many people talk about how children are the future and she chose Hitler to quote. Yeah, literally. There's a sea of quotes you could have fucking picked from. You could have picked the quote where the top of the hour has a 60 second ad break, for example. And that children should avoid the top of the hour ad break by subscribing. They began to say we need white women to use their loins because they're concerned about the blackening and the browning of what is now, what at that point became the United States and is a real concern that when black people become free, what will this mean for white people? And white women became a key to that. But yeah, let's talk about the history. Let's talk about this real quick. Three years after Roe v. Wade, a landmark Supreme Court case that made abortion legal in the United States was decided, public opinion polls actually showed that, on average, Republican voters supported abortion rights more than Democrats. 
Well, historically, neither party was really pro-choice or pro-life, and there were politicians in either party who could be found in each camp. Despite this, in the mid-70s, something started to happen in the GOP. Three or four years after Roe v. Wade was passed, uh, the GOP was definitely moving toward a more anti-abortion position. So the GOP Republican platform in 1976, for example, had some language about supporting the efforts of people who wanted to ban abortion through a constitutional amendment. Abortion really started becoming a core issue for the GOP when this guy got into office. Is an unborn child a human being? I happen to believe it is. This motherfucker saw how much the moral majority, the conservative moral majority foundation and like Paul Weirich and all those other guys were able to activate the evangelical base and was like, shit, that's a, that's a constituency I care about. That's it. That's the only reason. That's why this Hollywood actor motherfucker whose wife is most famous for dick sucking was like, oh yeah, I'm actually anti-abortion now, which he wasn't before. Straight up. Can you imagine you got a Hollywood actor whose wife is literally famous for being the fucking throat goat, turning around and going from like being pro-abortion to anti-abortion over the course of like a few years. How did that happen? What's going on? How did that happen? They saw that this was a viable constituency that was super, super active. He was trying to capitalize on something that I think Richard Nixon had identified earlier in the 70s, which was that there were lots of traditionally democratic voters. These were often um, Catholics or evangelical Protestants who were blue collar, may have been part of a union, generally voted for Democrats because they thought the Democrats fought for the little guy. And Reagan thought that those voters could be peeled off if people in the GOP appealed to their views on issues like abortion. Fortunately for Reagan, his presidency coincided with another movement gaining momentum. Um, this was also significantly the time when the religious right was mobilizing, so you began to see groups like the Moral Majority trying to bring evangelical Protestants into politics in a way that really hadn't been true before. Um, so the GOP thought it would be important to present itself as, as the GOP put it as the party of life. In 2010, two years after Obama became president, over 1,000 state Senate seats and almost 5,000 state House seats were up for re-election. The GOP was victorious. In fact, they did so well, they literally made history. The sweep gave Republicans their largest number of seats since the Great Depression. By the end of election night, they had seized control of the entire legislature, so both a state's House and a state Senate in 25 states. Republicans realized that the 2010 elections could be much more consequential, even historic. Why historic? because the year that the state legislative elections took place was the same year that the census was undertaken. Once every 10 years after the latest census, states redraw the boundaries of their legislative districts. And that's a big deal. In 2010, political strategist Karl Rove wrote an op-ed that was subtitled, He Who Controls Redistricting. Bro, these motherfuckers literally have done everything. This is what you do when you wanna win. That's it. And when one side wants to win and the other side unironically wants to lose, Democrats love losing because when they're losing, they don't have to actually offend the real masters that they serve, their corporate benefactors. It, it, it works perfectly for them. One side wants to win and basically dismantle every power that the federal government has, completely turn Congress into just a lifeless, neutered institution, and, co and sidestep Congress through uh, state legislatures and also the court system that codifies every single thing that states wants to, uh, states want to do. You arrive at this fucking reality. What the Republicans understood was that control of state legislatures 
legislatures, these most important chambers in a state as far as a state house, a state senate, the most local level of representation is important because those people also draw the congressional lines in this country. Republicans thought all of this through. None of this was by accident. What Republicans did was they took control of every single seat and they locked the Democrats outside of the room. Democrats didn't see this coming because this wasn't the way it had worked in the past. They had almost always controlled one of those branches, so they never had to worry about being completely on the outside. That's Republicans crazy, changed the very- That's crazy, bro. Almost like every single thing, every single thing I've been talking about, every single thing I've been talking about has been incredibly effective, incredibly effective for the Republican Party. By the way, when you control the Supreme Court, you can unlock the states' rights argument, which is an inherently white supremacist one, obviously. This notion that, like, states' rights is important is a fucking silly one. It's the same exact principle as, like, freedom of speech. Freedom of speech only applies to fucking hate speech, never to, like, actual political dissidents of the government. Those guys we are will kill, or those guys we will literally fucking jail. Doesn't matter. Uh, it's the exact same principle. Like, states' rights is only for white supremacist shit, okay? You don't have states' rights when it comes to, like, gun control. I mean, obviously, uh, look at the Supreme Court decision that same week that they did states rights the same week that they said states rights for banning abortion no states rights for fucking gun regulation it just doesn't fucking matter if it's a reactionary policy they will absolutely they will absolutely yeet any kind of fucking provision that a state has put forward that's where you start drawing a connection between gerrymandering and abortion laws there's a straight line between gerrymandering and these extreme abortion bills. Like just look at a state like Georgia, for example. So Georgia had a statewide election in 2018, or governor, and it was extraordinarily close. There were only 55,000 votes separating the Democrat and the Republican. So you would, you know, safely look at this and say, this is a pretty competitive. Man, that's real suspicious. There are only 55,000 votes between Stacey Abrams, who sucks too, but like, whatever. And Brian Kemp, who was the secretary of state? state that like had control over purging voter rolls and stuff i wonder i just i wonder who oh yeah that's right it was stacy abrams opponent that literally personally had full control over who who gets to be able to vote and stuff you know closing polling stations and things like that that's true that's that's how it worked that's not a conflict of interest you know so there was a poll taken by the atlanta journal constitution and it found that 70 percent of the state backed roe versus wade they did not. 70% in Georgia backs Roe v. Wade. 70%. Want to see any legislation in Georgia that would undo the abortion protections guaranteed by Roe versus Wade. But Georgia's legislature advanced those restrictions anyway. They didn't have to worry about this. And gerrymandering is one of the reasons why. Republicans now had the power to take the next step in their abortion fight restrict abortion access itself. Between 2011 and 2016, states enacted over 300 restrictions on abortions, which accounted for 30% of all abortion restrictions since Roe v. Wade. Just look at this graph showing the number of abortion restrictions enacted per year. Look at the year Roe v. Wade was decided, and then look how the number spikes in 2011, the year after Republicans swept the state legislatures. So in 2010, 
Um, you saw the mobilization in the United States of what was called the Tea Party movement. Tea Party Republicans were almost uniformly very strongly opposed to abortions, and they took over tons of- Remember, they're libertarians. They're libertarians who oppose abortion. It's like, there's nothing dumber than this, except, of course, they're libertarians, so obviously, like, their entire worldview is so so idiotic. I mean, they, they're also pro-cop. What a contradiction. I'm a libertarian because I want less government, which is why I think the government should deny women a medical procedure. I'm gonna be honest. It's probably because they just want more kids around. You know what I mean? Let's be real. It's most likely because they want more kids around. That's true. Less abortions means more kids. More kids means more, uh, you know, kids that they can touch. That's what libertarians are going for. ...state legislatures after 2010 and then passed really an unprecedented number of abortion restrictions after they took office. God bless America. While states were not directly challenging the legality of abortion, they made it harder for many people to get one. Well, so there are a lot of different strategies that they've used. You see one strategy unfolding in Missouri right now where there's only one remaining clinic that the state is very- Yeah, uh, trap laws and numerous other ways that they already had like functionally made abortion almost illegal in the fucking state was not enough that they had to go the extra mile and just like basically allow states to criminalize it. it. It is truly wild. That's why I always say it's like bad manners. Like what they're doing right now is just a flex at this point. You understand? They already were in red states making it almost impossible to get a fucking abortion, but it wasn't enough. They had to literally personally push for the extra mile instead of using it as a, as a carrot to dangle. What? You touch kids? No, man, I just touch your mom, okay? Consensually, of course, a concept that is unfamiliar to you, probably, and therefore, uh, you know, maybe I've touched the heart of children by educating them after having sexual intercourse with their moms. Also, you're grounded. Anyway, yeah, I am a typical draconian stepfather, exactly. Some of you motherfuckers need that. Uh, 